Well, as I've said, uh, we now come to the end, to the letter of Jude. And these last two verses here, we see what uh, a lot of people refer to as a doxology. A doxology is a word of blessing, a word of praise, a word of adoration. It's always directed toward God. And that's what we see in verses 24 and 25. We see a word of blessing, a word of praise, a word of adoration, and it's directed toward God. Now, here in this letter, Jude, he does something different. A number of books in the New Testament end with what we call a benediction. In particular, the letters of Paul. You read the letters of Paul, he always ends with a benediction. They say something like this, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we normally see at the end of New Testament letters. It's a benediction from God to you at the end of a letter. That's what's going on in most New Testament letters. You know, when you get to the end of... Uh, a lot of the New Testament letters, especially Paul's, you sense that you need a blessing from God, right? Because Paul in most cases, especially in the second half of the letters, has confronted you and I with some strong exhortations. Exhortations that call you and I to action in the Christian life. And when Paul is done with us, we feel like we need a break. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm done studying, I'm done reading a book of the Bible, and I get all these exhortations, here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm thinking, man, I need some help. And I need, I need it now. And that's what Paul does. And most of the New Testament letters do. There's a benediction that comes to us. And Paul's done. We feel like we need that break. And we need something to look to. Something to carry out those exhortations. And Paul, in all his letters, and most New Testament letters, always points us to the power and grace of God. Reminding us, as you do these things, you do them in the power and the grace of God. Jude, just like Paul, has given us some exhortations, has he not, in this short letter. He's told us to contend for the faith, fight for the faith. He's told us to be on guard against false teachers. He's told us about the judgment of God that's going to come on these false teachers and those who follow them. And and in general, uh, God's judgment that comes on all who uh, stay and live in sin and don't turn from sin and trust in Christ. Uh, We're expecting a blessing, Right? After hearing these things, and you feel like you need one, but Jude, however, does something different. He gives a doxology. He gives blessing and praise toward God. He doesn't do like Paul in most New Testament letters, grace, mercy, and peace to you. He's giving blessing and praise, and he's directing it toward God. But if we look carefully at the content of this blessing, and we will, we see that much of the praise to God involves His blessing to us. In fact, God is being praised here by Jude for His blessings on us. That's what He's doing here. Jude praises God. He exalts God's power and God's glory. But as He does so, He anchors the believer's assurance in God's power and the believer's hope in God's glory. So even in glorifying and exalting God, which He's doing here, it reminds us of the blessing that God has given to us in assurance and hope. Here's what we learn from this short doxology. Two verses. Here's what we learn. The church is to praise God at all times. Thank you. I don't know who said amen, but that's a good place to... That's why I paused to see if anybody would acknowledge that. The church is to praise God at all times. More of a yes. Jude calls this church, and he's written this letter too, he calls all churches to praise God. Even in a time of great challenge in the church. A great challenge can and will bring discouragement. This church has been challenged. False teachers have come in. Some people have followed them. And you can imagine the mindset and the heartache and the discouragement that's come upon this church. And Jude says, even then the church can praise God. Why? 
Because praise to God always returns blessings to His people. It always returns blessing to His people when we praise and exalt and lift up God. So the main idea of the passage today is this. Blessing God for His power and glory. Blessing God for His power and His glory. If you will, look with me at verse 24. Here's how we'll outline this. There's going to be one point for each verse. Verse 24, here's your outline. Reassurance for true believers. Reassurance for true believers. Look at verse 24. It says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Notice what Jude says right off the bat. The first thing he says, he speaks of the keeping power of God. Now to Him who is able to do what, church? Keep you from stumbling. Remember the mindset and what's probably going on in the minds of a lot of these people in this congregation. False teachers have come in. We're to be contending for the faith. Some people have fallen away from the faith. And some of us may be wondering, are we on the verge of doing that as well? And notice what Jude says. Now to him who is able to do what? Keep you from stumbling. Will those not be words of encouragement to you when you get to the end of this letter? Jude is putting emphasis on the sovereign keeping power of God in the life of a believer. Notice the phrase there, keep you from stumbling. Refers to God keeping a believer from falling away from the faith. Remember, there's some of those a few verses up who have done that. And Jude has told us to show them mercy and to go after them, but some of them have not listened and they've fallen away from the faith. And again, imagine the mindset of this congregation of people falling away from the faith and wondering, am I one of those? Will I be one of those? And Jude says, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. First, to God keeping the believer from falling away from the faith. Jude's reminding us that God is able. God is able to keep us from falling away from the faith. And by doing so, He's showing us that we are to praise God because God has the power to keep us. God has the power to enable us to persevere in our faith. Notice when I gave you the outline for that verse, it's reassurance for what kind of believer? A true believer. Although God has the power to keep, I want you to listen, the believer must realize the seriousness of the warnings that we read when we read Scripture, when we read the Bible, about not falling away from the faith. If you read through the New Testament over and over again, we are warned, we're exhorted, we're called upon as believers to stay in the faith, not to fall away from the faith. The Bible is clear that the believer must continue to trust in Jesus during the duration of his existence on this earth as a believer. It's clear that we must continue to trust in Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. It says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So we're being reminded by there by Paul that we were once alienated, we were hostile in our mind, we had these evil deeds, and we've now been reconciled to the death of Christ. And he goes on to say, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. I don't know about you, but that sounds, that is, oh, those are amazing words. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And here's the key, verse 23. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel 
that you have heard. You will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach if you continue in the faith. So what is it? Is it us continuing in the faith or is it God's keeping power? What is it, church? It's both. It's us continuing in the faith, but ultimately where does the power come from to do that? It's God's grace and God's power. The believer has a responsibility to continue in the faith. And yet the believer's responsibility is backed up by this amazing assurance that God is going to keep you. You are not going to stumble. You are not going to fall away from the faith. That assurance is that God will guarantee that true believers will continue trusting in Jesus until the end. You cannot fall away. A true believer in Jesus can never fall away from the faith. It cannot happen. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells a believer that God, who began the work of faith in us, is the God who continues to maintain that faith. He who began a good work in you will carry it to fulfillment. It will not fail. Your faith will not fail. God will keep it. Here's what we need to understand. And it... Here's where I think we've, we fail a lot of times. We're asking, the, and I know that it's hard to reconcile these. Is it me continuing in the faith or is it God persevering me? It's both. They work together. It's a balance. And here's what we understand about, you know, it, it's God persevering us and God keeping us. Our sin, listen to me church, our sin is so deep rooted. We're so shot through with sin. We're so corrupted by sin were it not for God's power and grace that keeps us, we would immediately fall away from the faith. If it were not for God's keeping power, we're so sinful, so shot through with sin, we would fall away if God's keeping power was not upon us. But God, by His power, keeps the believer. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, "...to an inheritance that is imperishable." undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. By whose power? God's power. What's God's power doing? It's guarding. And how is it guarding us? Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Those words there, being guarded, means protected by God from falling away. But how does God protect us? And guard us and keep us from falling away through what church? Faith. The Christian's continued faith is evidence of God's protecting power. Does that make sense? When a Christian continues in the faith, when he stays the course, that is evidence of God's keeping power in his life. That's evidence of him being a true born-again believer. Remember, Jude's been talking to these believers about being on guard against false teachers that would lead them astray. False teachers that would lead them into immorality. And these believers have listened and they're concerned. Would you not be concerned? I could be led astray. I could fall away into this sin. And so Jude finishes up with this doxology that reminds them, not just them, he's reminding us as well, that God is able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to keep us from falling away. He's able to keep us in the faith. Praise God for His keeping power. I want to be clear about something. Jude is not promising that true believers will never sin. That's not what he's saying. That's not what I'm saying. God does not promise that true believers will never sin. You read your Bible, you read it carefully, God never promises that true believers will never sin again once they become Christians. It doesn't say that. But what it does promise is that He will keep the true believer from abandoning the faith and falling away. 
God keeps His people. I also want to be clear that this does not mean you can live with the attitude that I can do as I please because God's keeping me. That's not an attitude of someone who has turned from sin and trusting in Christ. I just have to be honest with you. That kind of attitude, that kind of heart is not the heart and the attitude of a true believer. To think that God keeps me so therefore I can live and do as I please because God is keeping me. To be quite honest with you, the Bible says that is not true repenting, trusting, faith in Christ to have that kind of attitude. Notice that Jude calls God there, Him who is, what? Able. That's our God, church. He is one who is able. That's our God. He's the one who is able. Yes, the believer actively continues and he fights against sin, but in the end, what is it that keeps him from stumbling? Him who is able. God alone is our hope and He's our refuge. It is ultimately God who keeps us and it's ultimately God who guards us from falling away from the faith. Do you see how... Even this doxology that Jude's giving to God, this praise to God, turns out to be a blessing to us because we're praising God because He's the source of our security. Praise God that He's the one who's able to keep the true believer from stumbling. He's the one who's able to keep us from falling away from the faith. Notice secondly, Jude speaks here of God's perfecting grace. Notice what he says. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling... I love this part of the verse. And to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Jude, with this this phrase here, he, he clarifies, he confirms that the true believer will not be perfectly sinless. That's how I know we'll not be perfectly sinless when I read this verse because one day God's going to present us blameless, which means there's a time when we're what? Not blameless. Jude is saying that God is the one who keeps the believer from falling away. So that one day he'll be able to stand before him with great joy. Believers will experience joy and their joy brings glory and honor to God. Notice there, Jude says God keeps. And he, what's the word? He presents. That word present has the idea of standing. And the believer stands before God one day as blameless. He stands before God without fault. Blameless, pure, spotless. One day the true believer will stand before God in a perfect, sinless state. And y'all have heard me say this before. Some days that is hard for me to imagine. I look at my own life and see how sinful I am. You're going, oh, pastor, here you go again. You're talking as our pastor about how sinful you are. Hey, they don't need to lie about it. I'm shocked they would sin just like everybody else. God's called me to be a pastor, but that doesn't make me a perfect, sinless person. We're all sinful. But one day, by God's keeping power, He'll present me and you who trusted in Christ. One day we will be pure, spotless, blameless. No sin whatsoever again. Jesus reminding us that God is able to make us stand blameless with great joy. And so in reminding us of that, Jude's teaching us that we praise God because He has the power to bring us to that point. We praise God because He will keep us from falling away from the faith and one day He will present us blameless. The reason one day we stand blameless in God's presence is because we've been counted righteous in Jesus and not because of our own righteousness. I want to make sure we understand that. And the reason we won't fall away from trusting in Christ is because of God's keeping power.
power. He continues to make sure that our faith is continuous and He's going to preserve that faith until the day that Christ comes for His church. God is not a God who saves us to lose us. But He's a God who saves us to keep us. And if you want to know where I'm at, you just come ask me. I don't believe we can lose our salvation. And I don't mean to be rude or impolite. I don't care who tells you you can lose your salvation. They have not read their Bibles carefully. Why? Because these verses here say that God does what to the true believer? He keeps us. Will we sin in this life? Yes, but one day He's going to keep us to the point He presents us blameless. And we cannot lose our salvation because our God keeps us. Look with me at verse 25. If you're making an outline, here's what we see here. Responding to God's power and grace. Responding to God's power and grace. Notice what it says. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's to be to Him, church? Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude praises God here for four qualities. And what are they? Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. But before I deal with those, Jude reminds us that God is what? Notice what it says there. God is the only God. We respond to God in praise because why, church? He is what? The only God. Jude's making this point. There's only one God. And that's the triune God that we read about in the Scriptures. Now, I know that's not politically correct. I don't care. I'm not worried about being politically correct. I'm worried about being theologically correct. Because when I read my Bible, there's one God, and it's the triune God. And Jude is pointing that out to us here. Now, many of you already believe that, right? Some of you are shaking your heads. I hope if you're not doing it physically, you're at least on the inside shaking your heads. Did you believe that? You came today believing that there's one true God. You came to worship Him. But the challenge for us is to live that way. We come believing that, but the challenge is to live that way. Do we worship the one true God only, or do we worship our job? Do we worship our family? Do we worship popularity, or do we worship a reputation, or our importance, or do we worship money, or do we worship the one true God? Notice as well that He's not the only God. He is God our what? Savior. Jude is reminding us that God the Father is what? He's our Savior. Now, it's true. The New Testament refers to Jesus as our Savior. But the New Testament also refers to God the Father as our Savior. Jude is reminding us that the Father here, God the Father, is the source of our salvation. Do you remember what John said in John 3.16? What did he say, church? The Father who sent His Son into the world, what did it say? God so loved. He loved the world to this extent that He gave us His only begotten Son. God is the source of our salvation. Look at verse 25. Jude says to the only God our Savior, and what's the next words? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the focus is on who? Jesus. Jude is reminding us that all salvation comes through who? Jesus. God is the source of that salvation, but that salvation comes through Jesus. God saves us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's through Jesus that God saves men from their sin. Now, I've said some words there for most of us here that we're going like, yes, I believe that. I've heard that 
all of my uh, church life. Some of you need to ask yourselves the question. And that question is simply this. Am I trusting in Jesus? In other words, are you resting the whole hope of your salvation? Notice I said the whole hope of your salvation in Jesus. Because it's pretty clear there that it's through Jesus. Do you see any other words there, church? Through Jesus plus this or plus that. It's through Jesus. You must rest the whole hope of your salvation on Christ and nothing else. If not, here's what you must do. If you're not doing that, here's what you must do. You must acknowledge that you are a sinner who deserves the judgment and the punishment of God for your sin. You must acknowledge that there's a Savior and that that Savior's name is Jesus. You must repent of your sin against God and you must trust in Jesus alone to secure your acceptance before God. Jesus plus nothing. And that means believing who Jesus claims to be in the Bible. That's key. Believing who Jesus claims to be in the Bible and trusting Him for forgiveness of sin and confessing Him and identifying him, yourself with Him by the way you live your life and by identifying yourself with His people. Did you hear what I said? You identify yourself as a believer by the way you live your life and by identifying yourself with the people of God. Now you may be here today and you may be a true believer. You, you, you're, not, you're not worried about that, but you've messed up, right? You've not fallen away from the faith, but you're not walking in the faith as the Lord calls you to do. Here's what you do. You just simply repent of your sin and you ask for God's forgiveness. I don't think we understand as Christians, our Christian life is a whole life of doing two things. Repenting and trusting in Jesus. It's not just one time for salvation. It's through the whole Christian life. We're constantly repenting and trusting in Jesus. Jesus calls us to repent. Not just because we feel guilty. We do feel guilty, right? But it's not just because we feel guilty, but it's because you've sinned against Jesus, your only God and Savior. Repent and follow Jesus and live your life for His glory. That's simple. When you've messed up, when you've sinned against God... The Scriptures simply call us to confess those sins, repent, turn from those sins, and continue trusting in Jesus. As I said earlier, Jude, as you notice there, praises God for four qualities. The first one is glory. That refers to the honor and the fame and um, some uh, of the older Puritan writers refer to it as that magnificent radiance that belongs to God for keeping us. Why, Why are we praising God here? Because He's what? able to keep us from falling away and He will present us blameless one day. And now Jude goes into this praise. Give honor to God because He is able to keep you. Majesty describes the absolute control, reign, kingship, rulership, whatever you want to say of God the Father. Describes how worthy He is to receive glory and honor. Power refers to His absolute sovereign rule over this world. And authority indicates that He has the right to rule over all things. He has the right to rule over all... After all, church, whose world is this? It's God. You've heard me say this before. He makes the rules. He sets up the standards. And if you don't follow those guidelines and rules, there's what? There's consequences. Notice the direction that this praise, this glory, majesty, power, and authority is directed toward who, church? God. And listen carefully. It's God's glory, not ours. 
It's God's status, not ours. It's God's control, not ours. It's God's power, not ours. Just in case you haven't figured it out, there is a God and you're not it. That's what Jude's telling us here. There is a God and none of us are God. Jude also indicates God's eternality here. Notice what he says. What are the things we're to give to God? Glory, majesty, power, and authority. What does it say next, church? Before all time, and now, and forever. Jude's reminding us that God's goodness makes Him inherently deserving of our worship. Notice it says there, what? Before all time. In eternity past, God was deserving of glory, majesty, power, and authority. Now, in the present age, He's worthy of those things. And forever, in eternity future, God is worthy of these things. Jude is praising God for His inerrant worthiness to be praised. Understand something. When we praise God, we're not giving Him something that He doesn't already have. Let me say that again. We're not giving Him something that He doesn't already have. We're acknowledging something about Him that He already is. When we praise God, we're ascribing to Him the glory which is due to His name. We're not giving Him glory which doesn't already belong to Him. And so Jude is praising God here for His inerrant, eternal worthiness. He's giving eternal praise to God. He's reminding us. Here's what He's reminding us. We bless God not because He has the power only because He has the power to keep us. Not only because He has the power to make us stand blameless one day. Not only because He's the only God and Savior. Not only because of the life and death and resurrection and the saving work of Christ, but we praise God simply because He's worthy of all our praise. We praise God simply because He is God. That's what Jude's telling us. How do we make application from these two simple verses here? Number one. What you hold in your hand here, if you brought it with you today, is a very precious thing for us as the people of God. The Bible is first and foremost a book about God. It's not a book about you and I. It's a book about God. We should read it with a desire to know more about Him. Let me say that again. We should read it with a desire to know more about Him. Not just wanting practical advice about how to make our lives better or in order to get the things that we want. That's not what this is for. We should read the Bible with a thirst and a hunger for God. Can I tell you something to guard yourself against and it's happened to me this year? How many of you have ever done one of those Bible reading plans where you read through the Bible in a year? Well, I have one of those that... Um, now, I, I read every day, but I don't stick to my plan, I'm, I'm, and I, I'm thinking of something I want to study, and I'll go read this, and, and I'll be on that today, and next thing you know, two weeks have went by, and I've, I'm off my plan, and this little thing pops up on my phone and says, you're two weeks behind on your reading plan. And I want to pick it up and go, you don't understand. I've been reading my Bible, it's just not what you want me to read. And so, guard yourself about reading a plan, keeping a plan, they're good to do, don't misunderstand me, but doing them just so you can get that check mark out by it, and at the end of the year you're like, Phew. I got it done. But what did you learn about God? Did you learn anything about God and His worthiness? Number two, Jude reminds us that life itself, life itself is about God's glory, and everything else is to be submissive to that. Here's what that means for you and me. 
First, everything in our lives must be placed within the agenda of glorifying God. Everything in our lives must be placed within the agenda of glorifying God. How much, church? Everything must be placed within the agenda of glorifying God, which says something about our personal priorities. Remember, there's a God, and we're not it. You're not it. Everything in your life must be viewed, must be placed within the agenda of how will this glorify God. Second, it means that every situation in our lives must be looked upon in light of the ultimate glory of God. Hard things, church, and evil things happening to us is not the big problem in this world. God not getting glory is the big problem. I was talking with some believers the other day, going through a trying and difficult time, and the doubt was creeping in. I'm, I'm not useful to God anymore. Look at my life. All this is going on. And I was quick to remind them that even in suffering, even in hard times, God gets the greatest glory from our lives, more so then, and I think He does any other time in our lives. God not getting glory is the big problem in this world. God getting glory that's due Him must be what burns close, must be what burns deep within our hearts. And one last thing. Here's what happens when you begin to have a passion for a desire for God's glory. When you begin to have a passion for the glory of God, when that begins to be your ultimate goal in life as a Christian, is God getting glory from your life, here's what happens. Your circumstances and situations take a back seat. And they're no longer the center of your life. You know how we can do you know how we do that, right? Circumstances and situations in our life do what? We we take them and we put them right here in the middle, and they take precedence in our life, and God does what? He gets pushed to the outside. Your circumstances and situations, mine, must take a back seat. They're not to be at the center of our life. The glory of God. Look at your circumstances in your life and say, what will God do this? Will do in this situation in my life, in my circumstances, to bring glory to Him? What happens is a great concern for His glory when you do that. Not that your needs are not met. Not that your life is not smooth in the bed of roses. You find that living for His glory... It's where God pours His greatest blessings out in your life when you're doing that. We along with Jude here are to praise God. And when we do, we find that God, to whom we give this glory to, does what? He pours blessings back into us. And that's what Jude is saying to us today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Let's pray. Father, today...